Deep in God's Word is a Bible study for women. Each month, your host, Cindy Colley, will discuss the study highlights and answer some of your questions. You can find more information about the Digging Deep Bible Study at thecolleyhouse.org. Now let's grab our shovels and dig into the meat of God's Word. Good evening and welcome to the March 2018 edition of our Digging Deep podcast. We are so glad that you are along tonight. Going to go ahead and throw out just at the get-go so I won't forget April 24th, so plan for that night, and May 29th. Those are both Tuesday evenings, and we will look forward to those, uh, both of those, and I hope you'll be studied up for those. Tonight, though, we are talking about boldness from our Great Escapes study for 2017-2018, and we are very glad to have Erica Greaves with us. Thank you for having me. the second time that she's driven down from the very southern part of Middle Tennessee. Yes. To be with us, Pulaski, Tennessee, and we are very thankful that you are willing to come and do this again. It's kind of a um, hard time for Erica right now. We've been praying in our Digging Deep for Encouragement group for Mm -hmm. your mother-in-law. Tell us her name again. Her name is Lynn Owen. Lynn Owen, and she is not doing well with stage four. Stage four colon cancer. Yeah, and so we really want to be prayerful uh, for the family, we have been praying, and I think you said that your eight-year-old is really, really close to her. Yes, very much. So we are, um, I, I know what this is like, and we are very much in prayer for all of you. I think you may even go later this week, maybe. Yes, to, be to go and spend some time. So. So I think this is the, um, the doctor has said that that there's not going to be too much time left. And so we're going to just keep being prayerful. Thank you. And I know that all of you who are watching will be in prayer for them. And so we want to do that. We're going to um, dig right into 1 Peter chapter 4. But before we do that, we're going to go to God in prayer. And if you'll lead us in that prayer. Okay, let's pray. Holy and righteous Heavenly Father, you are wonderful and perfect all-knowing and all-loving, and we thank you for all the many ways that you bless us each and every day. We thank you for this study, Lord, and for the reminder of the need for us to be bold in serving you and bold in how we express your will to others in this world. We thank you, Father, especially for those examples that we have in the scriptures, for those who were bold at some of the toughest times, and how your will persevered even through some of the most difficult situations. Uh, We thank you for this opportunity to study your word, to learn more about how we ourselves can be bold so that someday we can boldly come before your throne. And in everything we do, we pray that it is your will that will be done. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter 4, that's where we will start. Um, as I thought about this, I um, was listening actually to a lesson from the Memphis School of Preaching Lectures mm-hmm. this afternoon about about boldness, and the scripture that was being taught was in First Peter chapter four, and this particular speaker was talking about verses three and four. So if you'll go ahead and read those for us, we'll just dig in right there. For the time past of our own life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excessive wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. 
wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. Well, I was thinking about that passage and how it is obvious that when we walk in the ways of the Lord, when we sanctify the Lord God in our hearts, set apart our lives for his service, that people are, are going to think that's strange. And that's what this verse says. They think it's strange that you're not continuing in the same lifestyle that you mm-hmm. lived before you were a Christian. People look at us and say, well, that's a little, and I can think of words, that's a little fanatical. You right. know, I, I hear that a lot. Or um, sometimes we even get that C-U-L-T word <laughs> said about us yes. because we are I think it's because we are different from the world. And really, um, the definition of that word is a group of people who are addicted to something. And uh, we really are addicted to the word, word. in a sense. We're not a a cult in the sense that the world thinks about a cult, uh, where there's mind control going on by fellow human beings. But there is mind control going on by God. And I really want him to be controlling my mind. And so when we are those kind of set-apart people, there are going to be those who are making fun of us. And I I think that um, ridicule, last night we were talking about this, the different things that are hard for us when we're standing for what's right. And one is ridicule. One is that we uh, are afraid of losing relationships when we are bold. And that's a really typical thing that makes us want to be quiet and want to not be verbal about our faith sometimes. Um, what are some more you can think of that make it really hard for us to, to be bold? I think we live in a culture that from a very young age, you know, we are indoctrinated with this idea of acceptance, mm-hmm. um, of there not being an absolute truth. And so when we are out in the world proclaiming there is an absolute mm-hmm. truth, uh, people are very offended by that. People don't want there to be just one right way. And people view that as arrogance on our part. And there is certainly a difference between being bold and being rude. Yes. So we want to present the gospel at every opportunity that we have. And not only, I'm not talking about just what to do to be saved, but I'm talking about the entirety of, of truth. Thy word is truth. Sanctify them through thy truth. Jesus prayed, your word is truth. So we want to present not just hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized so that you can be saved and be in Christ. But we want to present that whole lifestyle, mm-hmm. the whole demeanor of Christianity to the world in in a palate, in as palatable a way as we can. We mm-hmm. don't want to be offensive on purpose to be offensive. At the same time, though, when we even suggest that this is absolute truth mm-hmm. and that we are conforming our lives to absolute truth and that we can know absolute truth. That's offensive in many ways to our society. And so that's why I wanted to start out in First Peter 4 is just to say we are, and this chapter goes on to say in verse 13, go ahead and rejoice because you can be a partaker of Christ's suffering so that when his glory is revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. And then by the time we close the chapter, verse 19, wherefore let them who suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well doing as unto a faithful creator. We need to expect suffering. That's mm-hmm. what Jesus said in Matthew 5 when he said, Go ahead and rejoice when you're persecuted yes. because he didn't say if you are. 
It's when. Yeah. yeah, rejoice when you are persecuted. And then he also, uh, in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, all who live godly lives in Christ Jesus. I think one version, good version says, all who desire to live godly mm -hmm. lives in Christ we'll Jesus will suffer persecution. Mm -hmm. So in view of all that, our subject tonight is hard. It's a hard thing to be bold for God. But we're going to talk first about some folks in the Old Testament who really encouraged me. I mean, when I yes. studied this, it made me... Um, and we had, I'm just going to go ahead and throw this in there. We had a seminar this weekend with Brother Dave Miller from Apologetics Press. And he talked, um, especially in the last lesson, he talked about uh, the subject of how we get into Christ, about baptism. And that's a very unpopular thing in our world. It's a, in, Even in the religious world, 98% of the people in the religious world think that baptism is totally disconnected from our salvation that has nothing to do with our being saved. And, and as he presented that material, he made me confident about what I've been saying all along, about what we, what we are teaching about baptism. And I loved that about, about it. And that's what, that's what I want us to get from tonight is that we need to quit being made to feel ridiculous for what we teach about what to, you know, sometimes, sometimes I think it's a temptation for us to think, okay, I'm a member of the Church of Christ, and the whole world is saying, oh, that's what, what you believe in the Church of Christ, and so I'm a little bit embarrassed to tell people that I'm a member of the Church of Christ because they're already going to identify me with some things that are hard, some moral things that mm -hmm. are hard, some doctrinal things that are hard that the world doesn't. And so sometimes if we're not careful, if we're not in the Word, mm -hmm. we can come to feel like that we are representing something that's totally foreign to the world and so let's just go along in our lives and be kind of quiet about what we, we believe and kind of quiet about the fact that we're members of the church. When really when we get into the Word and, and we get the confidence that comes from study, mm -hmm. we understand that what we're teaching is not a doctrine that is uh, something that we've uh, concocted because we're members of the church and we've looked for this doctrine and we found specific verses and taken them out of context. When we look at, at what, for instance, what the Bible says about baptism for the remission of sins, it is everywhere. It is throughout. It is completely, and, and that's what we talked about Sunday. And what that did for me was make me know, you know, Cindy Colley, get in the Word. And when you're in the Word, you'll have this confidence that you're not teaching something that's ridiculous. You're not teaching something that you've invented. Mm -hmm. You're not teaching Church of Christ doctrine. What you do when you're in the Word is, is gain confidence that when people reject what you're boldly saying, they're not rejecting you. No. They're rejecting God. And so that's what I want us to get tonight is that we can be bold because this is what we're teaching. I've... Um, in the past few days been talking about a certain biblical topic and we won't even get into it tonight because we want to talk about boldness but 
it's very hard for me to say because it's so re much rejected by society around me. And as I thought about it, and, and that all, all hard topics that we teach, if they're here, then we don't need to be afraid. Mm -hmm. And so let's, let's be bold, ladies, in, in our study. Let's, let's be confident because we are in the Word. And then let's just say, we're going to say it because God says it. And we don't have to fear because we can always get our Bibles out and back up what we're saying. So in 1 Samuel 14, what do we think about? When you think about Jonathan and teaching your children's Bible classes, what do we mostly teach them? We definitely focus on that relationship that he had with David, that yeah. their souls were knit, and, and the ways that Jonathan was integral in protecting David. Yeah, and we think father. about friendship. That's yes. what we really think about when we think about Jonathan, yes. is that friendship with David. But in this lesson, I wanted us to notice his boldness. Um, and, and we're in 1 Samuel 13 and 14. And just tell us real quickly, if you can remember, what happened, they were, uh, what happened about that precipice? Can you remember about that rock they were climbing? I remember that, you know, they, they were fighting the Philistines, and the reason that Jonathan and his sword bearer um, two left, people two people, two people left was because no one had any weaponry. Yeah. In the whole... <laughs> Out of all of them. Israel. They had no weaponry. Saul had a sword, and Jonathan. and Jonathan had a sword. And so, but here we have Saul and Jonathan, and we're just going to, I mean, Jonathan and his armor bearer, and we're not really going to talk about... Uh, the details of what was going on in the big battle, but yeah. he's going up against 20 men here. Yes. And they're over this rock precipice, and he kind of um, makes a covenant with God that if they come toward him, mm -hmm. that means that you're going to give them to me. And so he goes with, I mean, it looks to me like they probably have one sword one together. Sword. Yes. Yeah. And so the armor bearer and, and Jonathan go, and... We're going to notice, though, that Jonathan was confident about two people taking these 20 people. And when mm -hmm. you really think about that precipice, I mean, you know, my my son loved Zorro when he was little. And it, it it's almost like they've got this one sword and 20 people, so they're just yes, <laughs> like a Zorro kind of uh, situation. So let's look at, um, I think the question was, how do we know that this was, the battle that was that God was fighting in First Samuel thirteen and fourteen, and um, we were looking for a verse that tells us that Jonathan knew that his power to escape was in the Lord. So, what verse did you get for that? I had written down fourteen and verse six um, when he actually speaks to his armor bearer and he says, "Let's go over to the garrison. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few." Yeah, that's what I put down also, but then. I looked also, go ahead and read verse 45 as well, if you're there. Verse 45 of chapter 14. And the people said unto Saul, Shall Jonathan die, who hath wrought this great salvation in Israel? God forbid. As the Lord liveth, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground, for he hath wrought with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan, that he died not. Okay, so, so the people there said, Jonathan's done this great thing. But then they... Uh, qualified that and mm -hmm. said he has worked with God. Mm -hmm. How does that differ from verse 6? Verse 6 says that God worked for us, right? Mm -hmm. So we've got the we've got the opposites. God's working for us, but we're working, we're working with him. God. So I love that 
combination there. And if we don't work, uh, you know, this, this passage said Jonathan wrought with God or Jonathan worked with God. Mm -hmm. If we don't work and thus we're hiding the glory of God because of our lack of, of action, is that sin? I think we're called to stand for truth. Yes. Yeah, sometimes um, we just, or the religious world just wants to say, I'm saved by grace and I'm just going to let his glory shine. And it, I'm not saved by works. And so it really doesn't matter what I do. But we read a lot of passages like, uh, for instance, Titus chapter 2. A lot of working in Titus chapter mm -hmm, 2. Mm -hmm. A lot of older women teaching the younger women to do some things, to be obedient to their husbands, to be keepers at home, to be chaste, to be discreet, to love their husbands, to love their children. We have a lot of lists of, of doing things in Titus chapter 2. And then it says, do these things in about verse 5, bottom of it, so that the word of God won't be blasphemed. What that means is that if we're not doing if we're not mm -hmm. boldly living it out there for people, then people are going to look and say and, and blaspheme the word of God. His glory will not be known to people around us unless we are doing. So then that brings me on down further in Titus 2 verses 11 and 12. You know, are the, are the grace verses in Titus chapter 2, the, the verses about um, how that we're saved by grace, but then it says grace has appeared to all men mm -hmm. teaching us. Teaching us how. Mm -hmm. So grace teaches us to work. And so when I think about Jonathan here, I do think about grace and works because it says the Lord worked for Jonathan. The Lord did this for Jonathan. Mm -hmm. And then it turns right back around and says, because Jonathan wrought with the Lord. So we've got grace and we've got works both in this verse. And we have bravery because... He knew that he was standing right in God's grace. So do we have any comments so far? Uh, we have from Jenny Townsend on Facebook Live. My mom thinks it's ridiculous that I was baptized since I was baptized at three days old. Mm -hmm. And she said, I think that is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, good. She's commenting back on yes. our discussion about baptism. So I wanted, I wanted us to just be sure that we... Um, accentuated when we were talking about the bravery of Jonathan that we also said that when we are bold for the Lord that is when his glory shines brightest that is when we show people his grace and can lead right. them to and his if grace. you don't mind me adding sure I noticed in chapter 14 and verse 22 not only are we bold for him but by being bold it emboldens others um, because it says that the men who had hid themselves in Mount Ephraim uh, when they heard the Philistines were had fled that they followed hard after them. They came out of their hiding places. Mm -hmm. Some that had turned to fight with the Philistines decided to turn back and fight with Israel. So um, we need to remember that sometimes it takes one person being bold to bring and along the others. Don't you think that happens in our congregations lots Definitely. of times? Mm -hmm. I think I, I know, especially with our leaders. When our leaders are bold for him, yes. it's so easy for us then. Yes. to. And what about with our young people? Have you ever um, seen... A youth group where most of the members of the youth group aren't really into boldness for the Lord. Mm -hmm. And maybe there's one person in the youth group who's really taking a stand. And um, sometimes that can be influential on the whole group, okay. but it can be really discouraging on that one person if yes. we're not all standing together. So um, that is a great point. Also, um, in our dig a bit, we talked about the armor bearer. Um, 
what, how, how would he have ever, I mean, don't you think that he would have just been thinking, okay, I am following a, a lunatic here because <laughs> we're sword. climbing up this rock <laughs> and we have one sword yes. and there's 20 men out there. But think about Jonathan's leadership. His leadership was really uh, crystallized that day. And, yes. that, and the people realized that. The people said, wait a minute. We're not going to, Jonathan can't die because he ate this honey. Right. And, you know, like the last, <laughs> because he has wrought with the Lord. So I love that the, the fact that um, his leadership drew that um, armor bearer to be willing to go over that precipice and, and fight, too, against 20. So I thought that was a great point, too. All right, let's look at Jeremiah 26. We're going to skip over to the great prophet Jeremiah. And... We're first off going to talk about where God told him to stand. What verse is that in, in 26? I have looked at verse 2, and he said to stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak unto all the cities of Judah which come to worship there. Okay. Do you think that that was, um, he wanted him to stand there because that was a comfy spot? Oh, no. That would be terrifying for the time period that he, he was living okay. in. Okay. He's living in a time when there was extreme rejection rejection of God. Yes. This is right before, um, in the early part of his prophesying, we have Josiah. Mm-hmm. That was a great time yes, because Josiah came, uh, well, his father was Ammon, and that, and that was a really bad, bad time because, uh, you know, we, we get a lot about Ammon in the early part of the book of Jeremiah, and Ammon had just walked away from the Lord in every kind of way you can think of. He had been given over to idolatry. It compares him to his father Manasseh. It says he was just as bad as he was. Mm -hmm. He was, he walked not in the ways of David, but he walked in the ways of, um, of evil as all of the preceding Kings had. Mm -hmm. And, and so then we have Josiah, Ammon died. And then we have Josiah coming into the throne when he was only eight. Seven, is that eight? Uh, I think eight. Eight. Yes, he was eight. I'm thinking maybe Joash. <laughs> yes, right. But he was eight at the time he yes. came in, and that's probably a really good thing because yes. he did not get all the wicked influence of his father, mm-hmm. and so he was. He must have had some pretty good trainers because he turned into just a really great king of Israel, and when he. You know, you remember Josiah. Maybe we'll t- get to talk about him a little bit more. But you remember when they found the book of the law, they brought it to him, and he read the book of the law. The, he had Shaphan read the book of the law to him, the scribe, and he did great, great things. Yes. And then he died. And we have, um, and by the time we get to Jeremiah 26, we have the king is Jehoiakim. And he was a horrible evil king. Yes. He was just evil in every way. And the people were idolatrous, and they had just really totally rejected God. And so God calls Jeremiah in Jeremiah 26 to go and stand right in the court of the Lord's house where everybody was going to be coming in to this feast day. And, it, it you know, it depends on whose lens you're looking through as to what kind of a of a place the inner court was. If you're looking through the the lens of the Lord, you know that if Jeremiah was in the inner court where God said to be, that God was going to be protecting him. Yes. And so he wanted to be exactly where God said. But this was a very difficult place 
to be saying the things that he needed to say. So I would like for you, if you're there, to read verses 8 and 9 of Jeremiah 26. Now it came to pass when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak unto all the people, that the priest and the prophets and all the people took him, saying, Thou shalt surely die. Why hast thou prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, This house shall be like Shiloh, and this city shall be desolate without an inhabitant? And all the people were gathered against Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. They're in the house of the Lord. They're attacking the Lord's prophet, mm -hmm. and they're ready for him to die because he has said what really is going to happen, that Babylon's going to come in and yes. besiege the city of Jerusalem, and it, it, it it's going to be bad. It's going to be a bad time. But they don't like their... It's like you were saying a while ago. They're pretty proud. And for Jeremiah to say they're wrong about something right. is not is not hitting them the way they would like for it to right now. So the question that we asked was, what was at stake here? There were two choices, and we find those options in verse, uh, let's go to 13 first, where he gives them an ultimatum. Uh, chapter 26, verse 13. Therefore now, amend your ways and your doings, and obey the voice of the Lord your God, and the Lord will repent him of the evil that he hath pronounced against you. So he's saying there's a chance mm -hmm. here. You mend your ways, it's not too late, and the Lord might change his mind. But then uh, when we read verse 9, if you don't change your mind, Je Je um, Jerusalem will be desolate without an inhabitant. Mm -hmm. So he's, what was at stake here? Here are your options. And it's, it's kind of like what we were talking about. There is a lot at stake when we speak boldly for the Lord. There are some things that we might, that we might lose. We might lose relationships. We might lose um, friendships. We might, um, in certain countries today, people might lose their lives. And we're going to talk about some people in Scripture who did. So... I also ask, how much did Jeremiah say? And to what audience did he say? And you just read that in mm -hmm. verse um, 8. Mm -hmm. He spoke all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people. So he, he did exactly what God wanted him to, and he did it 100%. Mm -hmm. And we have that also in verse 2. Yes, he had said, diminish not a word. Yeah, word God said, you. diminish not a word. And Holly Smith was in our little study last night, and she said that she looked up the Hebrew on that, and it actually means don't shave off anything. Mm -hmm. And he didn't shave. He didn't take the top off. He didn't take the edge off of yes. what God had said. He didn't mince words. We have it in verse 2. We have it in verse 8. We have it in verse 12. Uh, the Lord sent me to prophesy against this house all the words that you have heard. And so he there is signifying that they're all from God. And we have it again in verse 15. Um, there's a Go ahead and read 15. There's a phrase there. But know you for certain that if you put me to death, you shall surely bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon this city and upon the inhabitants thereof. For of a truth, the Lord hath sent me unto you to speak all these words all these words in your ears so he did 100 percent of what god said to do and then they threatened to kill him and verse 15 which which she just read 
is his response to their death threat, the death threat mm-hmm. of this council. Mm-hmm. He said, okay, go ahead and put me to death. But if you do, you're bringing innocent blood on yourselves and on this city and on the inhabitants. What they're, what they're all up in arms about is that he's saying that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. And he says, if you go ahead and kill me right now, you are sealing the fate of the city of Jerusalem. So I love it how that the more they come at him, the bolder he gets. Mm -hmm. And the more um, you just see that he is not going to shave off or diminish one word from what the Lord has asked him to say. And that should be us. We should be, you know, the more... uh, persecuted the more and i don't th- i don't mean to um, intimate that we suffer any kind of persecution like he did right but the harder it is for us to say it the more determined we should be yes to say god's truth so that was his response and and then i, I want us to look at um at these people uh turn turn back to jeremiah chapter one and this is something that miss carol dodd brought to our study last night if you're back in jeremiah chapter one we've got this promise of god in 17 to 19 we've got this amazing promise that god made to jeremiah at the very beginning when god called him to be a prophet so let's just read 17 to 19 of of chapter one thou therefore gird up thy loins and arise and speak unto them all that i command thee Be not dismayed at their faces, lest I confound thee before them. For behold, I have made thee this day a defensed city, and an iron pillar, and brazen walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against the princes thereof, against the priests thereof, and against the people of the land. And they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee. For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to deliver thee. So he's making this promise right when he calls Jeremiah. That, and, and it must have been very hard for Jeremiah to really believe that all the time because, yeah. I mean, he's down in a, a dung well at one point <laughs> yes. and they're having to dig him up out of this mire. He's um, in chapter 26 that we're studying today. It's almost, it looks almost certain they're going to kill they're him. Kidding. And they did kill his fellow prophet, Uriah, at the end of that chapter. So it must have been sometimes when they were, you know, putting the handcuffs on him, he must have just thought, okay, Lord, but you said that you were not going to let me die. Mm-hmm. So that is what he promised here. And it's very interesting here, and this is what Miss Carol said last night that was so good, um, that right here he says that he will protect him in verse 18 against the princes, mm-hmm. against the priests, and against the common people of the land. And then you turn over to Jeremiah 26, where mm-hmm. we're studying. Who and who is it? In verse 11, we got the priests, we got the princes, mm-hmm. we've got the, the people. common people. And um, it, again, in verse 12, you've got the princes and the people. And we surely have the king here because Jehoiakim is the one at the end of the chapter. He's in the first verse of the chapter, and he's in the last verse of the chapter, last two verses of the chapter, when he's chopping off, um, well, I don't know that he chopped his head off, but he's slaying Mm -hmm. Uriah with Mm -hmm. the sword. So um, we've got the exact people that God says he's going to protect Jeremiah from. And you flip over to chapter 26, and God is in a situation where you think, okay, he's gone now. You know, they, they're going to kill him now. God is making sure that 
that he's not taken and not killed. So right. I love that. And Jeremiah must have been relying on that promise when he was standing by the pillar. And I love it that we're called, the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Mm-hmm. And where do we need to be standing when we're boldly speaking, we gotta be. We gotta be in that pillar. We yes. gotta be in that house, yes. in the house of the Lord, at the pillar, which is the pillar and ground of the truth, saying what God wants us to say in boldness, and knowing that God has said, "When we do, there will always be a way of escape," which is the theme for the whole exactly. study. And I had made a note in Proverbs three and verse five. It says that every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. So just like he's telling him, I'm making you a wall, I'm making you Mm -hmm. a pillar, I'm making you a fenced city, he is our defense. He is our shield. And I love that. Okay, so um, I wanted us to notice, too, that between uh, verses, was it verses 11 and 16, I said some people came to? Yes. um, And and who were those people that came to... um, defend Jeremiah from death between those verses? Uh, In verse 16, you have the princes um, and all the people said to the priest and prophets, this man is not Mm -hmm. worthy to die. So in some versions, it calls calls those princes the officials. Officials, um, But here we have the the less religious people, the, the less the lesser of religious leaders anyway, right. going to the religious people to try to keep those priests and, mm-hmm. um, what did we say else? Priests and um, and elders, it wasn't? Well, the priests and prophets. And prophets so 16. we've got these common people coming to the priests and the prophets to say this man's not worthy to die. Who in the New Testament... Does that sound like who? Who is it in the New Testament that was turned over to Rome by the most religious people of the day? Oh, Paul for certain. Paul and Jesus. Jesus yes. You think about Jesus. Um, it it was the Jewish. It was the Sadducees. It was the Sanhedrin. It mm-hmm. was the most religious people of the day that took Jesus and turned him over for crucifixion. I think about, um, and maybe, you know, Jesus was being a bit prophetic when he told this story of the Good Samaritan. But who was it that went by on the other side? Those officials. Those, it was those the priests religious and the Levi. people. It yes. was the extremely religious people. Yes. Who was it in Acts 3 through 5 that we're going to talk about a little bit later in this lesson? Who was it in those chapters that what were really after Peter and John. The same. Yeah. The, the same, same group of people. It was, yeah, it was the people who were in charge of the temple. Yes. And they were saying, don't teach this in our temple right. anymore. So it was the religious people that were the most vehemently against the word of God. Mm-hmm. And is it that way sometimes today? Very much so. Who is it? That has made it so hard for Christianity in America today. Who is it but false teachers of this? I can, if I can just talk to somebody who hasn't been, who has been shielded somehow from the religious confusion that's mm-hmm. all around mm-hmm. us, I have such a much easier time yes. teaching. But it is the religious confusion 
it is the arrogance that comes with um, wanting to make a name for men rather than actually humbling ourselves before the Word of God. That is what makes it so difficult to be bold in our society today. And they are very bold in in their views, Mm -hmm. so we have to be just as bold. Uh, We were at lunch today and overheard uh, some people talking about their special Easter services and these special, you know, the special communion and these special activities that make them feel so much closer to God. And, you know, um, my husband made a point of, you know, of course the children overheard, they were being very loud about it, and he said, we worship in spirit and truth. And our worship is for him. And we always need to remember that I'm not dictating what I do based on the feeling it gives me, Mm -hmm. you know. So Mm -hmm. that we have to make sure that we're very much aware of the people who freely speak boldly Mm -hmm. of their false false teachings. And I want to say something that um, is pretty hard for me to say right now. And and I don't say this in any way to um, incriminate. Any, any heart that has followed. But, you know, we lost uh, Billy Graham this uh, recently in mm-hmm. the last few weeks mm-hmm. since we at least talked together. And there, were, there was a lot of criticism for anyone who said they were sad because of his teaching. Yes. <laughs> well, and, and that, you know, who are we to judge that... A man like Billy Graham is, and I, and we're not the judges. We're not the mm-hmm. eternal judges. But who are we to say that a man could not be saved who had taught a lot mm-hmm. that is biblical throughout his lifetime? I, I think we need to go to all the words. Mm-hmm. All the words. And we hear that and, and I know this is not a popular thing that I'm saying. And I, I don't want to to ever say that uh, I don't know his, his heart. I do know that you can look out over the United States of America and you can see thousands of people who followed his teaching who never did believe what Jesus said mm-hmm. about baptism for the remission of sins. Jesus said it so clearly. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. You can diagram that sentence all day long. Mm -hmm. And belief and baptism hold the same weight in that sentence. They are both necessary for salvation. You can can look at 1 Peter 3.21 and diagram that sentence. Baptism does also now save us. You can look all day long through the book of Acts, and you can look at Acts 2 and see that baptism is for the remission of sins. You can you can look at Acts 8 and see the eunuch saying, See, here is water. What does hinder me from being baptized? And he went on his way rejoicing. And you can you can look at Acts 22, 16, where... Um, Paul was rehearsing his conversion and said that Ananias said to him, and now why do you tarry? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. It is so there. And so I would have have loved to have been able to have a conversation with Billy Graham about this particular subject in view of what the scriptures say. But we have to be really careful 
that we don't stop short of what Jesus Christ himself said, that we continue to say all the words. My husband says it this way. If he hears a preacher preach and, the, and the, he says a lot of great things, but he stops short of really telling people what to do to be saved, he says, but he didn't land the plane. That's kind of the, that's a you great, know, that's, great that's way kind of how it. he thinks about it. And we just have to be careful that we're not intimidated by the world out of saying what shows that we love souls. If we if we just say, okay, this is going to offend people if I say anything bad about this teaching over here, if we do that to the point where we're unwilling to tell people what Jesus was willing to tell people, right. then what we do is turn our back on Calvary in deference to men. Yes. And we can never turn our back on Calvary in deference to men and call ourselves bold in any sense no. of the word. And we're not attacking people. That's the, the whole point of the matter is we, we are defending the truth and we are looking at their doctrine. We're not going after individuals. My you know, allegiance, let's keep it about yeah, the word. My allegiance is going to be to the cross yes. always. I was talking to somebody about a moral issue earlier this week and and. She had found a religious group of people who would not condemn her for what is obviously out of the mouth of Jesus sin. And she said, she said it this way. She said, well, they don't teach what you teach, but I hear an awful lot about grace and it feels so good. You know, what we have to say is it's not about what they teach and what I teach. It's what did came what did come out what came what came out of Jesus' mouth? What did Jesus say? And yes. that's actually what I said. I said, you know, what you're what you're really saying is not that they didn't teach what I teach, but what you're saying is that when I read this verse, something that came out of the mouth of Jesus, that they're not teaching what Jesus taught. And that's what we always have to yes. get back to is is it the word? But let's not be embarrassed because we live in a culture of people who are rejecting the word. Let's not be embarrassed to say the word just because the culture of people around us is morally, doctrinally looking for ways to justify what we believe rather than going to the word and, and seeing what Jesus, what the word teaches. Do we have comments? Uh, we do have a comment again from Jenny Townsend that it, it's easier to stand with your sisters in Christ than to be alone. And that is that is certainly true. Okay, so we're um, using up our time here, but that's okay. We're saying, we're, we're talking about good things. So the excellent def defense, line of defense by the elders in Jeremiah chapter 26 was that they said, you know, this is not a new thing. Mm -hmm. We could procure great evil against our own souls by putting him to death. And then they called up some historians history. They talked about um, Micah, the Morsite, who had prophesied in the days of Hezekiah and said Zion's going to be plowed like a field. And then in verse 19, did Hezekiah, the king of Judah, and all Judah put him at all to death? Did he not fear the Lord and besought the Lord? And the Lord repented him of the evil which he pronounced against him. Against him. He's saying, you know, we might should listen. Yes. And I think that was a, a brave thing. Learn from history. I think that was a brave thing <laughs> yes. for the elders to say there. And then they talked about um, this man, Urijah, the son of Shemaiah of Kirjath-Jerim, who prophesied against the city and against the land. 
And we're going to find out what happened to Uriah was that he fled to fled to Egypt. He fled right? to Egypt, yes. and I was looking up Egypt today because uh, it seems like Egypt was the place where everybody fled yes. to. Somebody <laughs> said that last night, and and so I actually did look that up, and there were several several instances of people fleeing to Egypt, uh, starting with Abraham, who went there when there was a famine in the book of Genesis, and yes. going all the way to the family of the Lord right. in Matthew, early Matthew, when they fled from Herod. So um, Uriah has gone to Egypt, and on this day they decide to extradite him and bring him back. And what happens to him? It says they fetched him and they brought him and they slew him with the sword and cast him into the graves of the common people. So he did not have the same fate as Jeremiah. The, he, he was put to death. Yes, and um, I, I, I wrote a note down when, why don't we not talk about him more? Yes. Because we don't, we don't know a lot about him, but we know that he, he gave his life for his faith. And I, I loved the, that, reading that about him. So we also find the line of reasoning about history and about a precedent. And yes. I know that you read it. In Acts 5, because yes. we, we studied Acts 3 through 5 for this lesson tonight. And we're talking about um, Peter and John in the temple and what happened there. What kind of, where is that reasoning? Can you, uh, in Acts chapter 5 with Gamaliel. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Gamaliel, and that begins in verse 33 of chapter 5. And they're about to, um, I mean, Oh, this is this is such boldness here. The apostles' boldness here. Peter and the other apostles answered and said in verse 29, we ought to obey God rather than men. And they're um, taking counsel in verse 33 to slay them. They're yes. ready to kill them. And then in verse 34, Gamaliel stands up. And what does he say? Go ahead and read what he said. Verse 35. In 35, he said unto them, You men of Israel, take heed to yourselves. What you intend to do is touching these men. For before these days rose up Thutis, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves who were slain, and all, as many as obeyed him, were scattered and brought to naught. After this man rose up, Judas of Galilee, in the days of the taxing, and drew away much people after him, and he also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. So now I say to you, refrain from these men, and let them alone. For this, if this is the counsel or work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest haply ye be found even to fight against God. Yeah, so here, this is something like what happened in Jeremiah 26, because basically here he's saying he might be right yeah. in Jeremiah 26, and then Gamaliel says this, if this is of God, you cannot overthrow it, and you may procure evil against yourselves. Same kind of reasoning that was used in Jeremiah chapter 26, so I thought that was interesting. Um now, when we think about uh, the allies, let's look at the allies in Jeremiah chapter 26. First off, the elders um, came and defend, and the common people came and defended Jeremiah. 
And then we have somebody else in the very last verse. We'll we read the time. very last verse. Nevertheless, the hand of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, was with Jeremiah, that they should not give him into the hand of the people to put him to death. Okay, so he had one man who was a, an extreme protector there. Yes. And it was Ahikam. And I love looking at Ahikam's family. And again, Holly helped us do this last night in our study here. His daddy was Shaphan. Mm-hmm. And do you, know, do you remember what Shaphan did? He is in the story of Josiah in 2 Kings chapter 22. He is the one who read the word of the Lord to Josiah in 2 Kings 22 when Josiah then called all of Judah together really and said, we've got to repent because we haven't been reading the word of the Lord and we haven't been... Um, obeying it and I mean he he called for a national repentance yes based on this book of the law that was found by um, what's the name of that priest Hilkiah right the priest found the word of the Lord in the temple sent it by the hand of Shaphan Shaphan read it to Josiah and this huge national repentance occurred and um, I love it that we have Shaphan doing that. And then in that same chapter, we do have Ahikam also in Second Kings 22 working with his father yes. on um, a committee of people who are mm-hmm. going to go and restore. So we have these restorers, protectors of the word, Shaphan and his son Ahikam. And Ahikam then is the father of Gedaliah. And Gedaliah is in Jeremiah 39 and 40. Just go read that, ladies. Jeremiah 39 and 40 has Gedaliah, the third generation, who becomes the governor of Judah after their captivity. He's the one who stays back in Jerusalem and takes care of the remnant, the leader of the remnant. And then he loses his life because of his, uh, really because of his trusting heart. He uh, they warned him that somebody was coming to kill him. This man named Ishmael was coming to kill him. And he said, no, he's a good man. And he ate with him. And then uh, Ishmael slew him. But we have three generations of men here who are protectors of the remnant of God's people and of the word of God. And I love that for uh, grandmothers. Are you listening, grandmothers? You, you've got this first generation mm-hmm. who loved the word. And then you've got the second generation who protected God's prophet from death here in verse 24. He was the fulfillment of Jeremiah 1, God's promise saying, I'm not going to let you die, Jeremiah. So we've got the second generation, and then we've got the third generation who was caring for the remnant of God's people even after the captivity occurred. And really, when I think about that, I love to think about that because um, Ezra and Kaliana are my third generation and and Babylon might happen in their lifetime you know I think about what um, Jeremiah was saying this is going to happen if you don't repent and I look Mm -hmm. at our nation and I know it's not Babylon it's not in the same sense that the church is the Israel of today and I understand that but we look at America and my kids really might see a time when the destruction of America occurs. Right. My grandchildren might. Well, you know, I want to be the Shafan. I want to be the Shafan, and I want my children to be the Ahikams, and I want my grandchildren to be the Gedaliahs, where I can look down three generations, and I'm thankful that I can look back some too, but I want to be able to look down three generations and say, we are all protectors of the word. Yes. And I want you grandmothers to 
to put that in your hearts. And when we had family Bible time with our children when they were growing up, we always said, you know, this is not just for you. This is not just so you can grow up believing the Word of God and that you'll be baptized for the remission of your sins. We don't want to know any collie descendant right. who's not following the exactly. Lord. Just if it's going to happen, and we pray that it never does, but just let it happen after we die because we don't want to know if anybody's not going to follow the Lord. And if, you know, if you really, we would tell them, if you really want to break our hearts, if you really want to do the thing that will hurt us the very most, you just turn away from God or don't put it in the hearts of your children. Mm -hmm. Because I want those, I want the three generations just like Shafan had. Do we have comments about that or what would you like to add? Um, uh, Stephanie Kenyon says we cannot let our comfort or someone else's comfort get in the way of their salvation. That would be selfish of us. Is my comfort as important as someone's soul? No. Exactly. Easily. Very good. Okay, so um, then we have um, the bold actions and words of Esther and Mordecai. So I do want us to take the time to turn to the book of Esther. And really quickly, we'll go through our list of bold actions and statements that were um, bold actions and statements of Mordecai. And I know a lot of people say Mordecai, but I really have looked at this word. <laughs> I really looked in at pronunciations, and it really is Mordecai. Yes. So um, I'm going to talk about Mordecai, and we're going to talk about the bold statements that were um, made by him and by Esther in the book. And I want to go through these quickly because I feel like th that was pretty simple to pick out and then talk about um, Purim. And, and talk a little bit about um, what, um, I guess I want to talk a little bit about that holiday and how they still celebrate it today even, because um, this was a, an amazing time in the history of, of, um, of the nation of Israel. So we have three, uh, what did you put? Just tell us what you put. Where did you pick out the verses? Um, okay, you put the one about Vashti. I did Vashti, even though it's not Esther or Mordecai. Um, Some of our ladies did that too. And I, you know, that's okay. So Vashti did something that was very brave in chapter one. Yes. Okay, so what um, else did you get? Well, and I had also in, you know, in chapter two, when Mordecai um, divulges the plan against the king, um, by Teresh and um, oh the other a gate. big fuss a big fuss yes <laughs> you know I felt that that was bold of him mm -hmm. to, to try to get that information out mm -hmm. um, you know for her to take to the king um, and then I also look I, I look at things strangely I, in chapter three and verse eight I understand that Haman's plan against the Jews you know that seems as something that is against God's people but in the grand scheme of things when you look at the course of how things worked out that really was to the benefit of Mordecai because he ends up being promoted Our to this people position people not started putting Haman's bold statements <laughs> he was very bold he was very bold. he was very bold for the wrong side he though. really was I'll, I'll he was that. but that was the only time that I thought that he had said something bold that actually did work out for Mordecai uh, in 3 and 8 um I think in chapter 4 and verse 14, Mordecai's plea, you know, for Esther to, to go and help save her people. Um, 
And then in chapter uh, 7 and verse 3 and following, I mean, Esther, everything along the way, um, there was the, the McGarvey um, sermon that he had done, and reading through that, you know, he made a, a great point that even in her choice of words, she was bold. She came before him and, and could have easily been put to death. Mm-hmm. And the king tells her, you know, anything that you wish you can have. And she mm-hmm. says, I just want you to come to dinner. And he said, you know, mm-hmm. knowing full well, the king is like, mm, this but is not what she's wanting. <laughs> she gets all the way from I want you to come to dinner to yes. I want you to hang 10 men. Yes. You know, not just Haman. So boldness is a thoughtful process, not necessarily. You may not come out the gate and just knock them. Spit it all out at one time. It it may be a gradual building. It depends on the situation, Mm -hmm. who you're Mm -hmm. dealing with. And how many chances you're going to get. I mean, she was going to get all these other chances, so she built up to. we may not always. But here she's going, I just want you to come to dinner. And Haman goes home and tells Zeresh, oh, I'm going to get to go to dinner with the king queen. Just me, (laughs) only me. And so she starts out with that thing that sounds, even to Haman, it sounds so wonderful. And by the time you get to the end of the chapter, you know, I'm just amazed that she can open her mouth and say, I want those ten men to hang you know, yes. and him say, sure. Yeah. And so, I mean, it was just, it was an amazing progression. So I got some in between four and seven, though. I okay. got 5-1. Uh, I thought it was bold of her to be dressed up and standing in the inner court. That was a bold action. Yes. And I thought in 5-9, um, when Mordecai was in the inner court of the king and he didn't stand up, that was the boldest time that he didn't stand up. Right. You know, so I thought that that was very bold. Um I think that it was bold for Mordecai to wear sackcloth in the king's gate, before the king's gate. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was bold for Mordecai mm-hmm. to tell Hatak that Haman was going to kill all the Jews. I think all of those things were bold because he was a Jew. I think that um, in 7, 5, and 6, the revelation of the identity of the perpetrator in front of Haman by Esther, when she just came right out and yes. said, you're probably going to say that, but for her to just come right out and say... Uh, this is this is my problem. Yeah. Somebody's trying to kill the Jews. And for her to look over there into his eyes, I mean, he was sitting there at the table when and, she said that. Down. Yeah. And then, um, and, and you you weren't here yet, so I'm sure you were going to say this. In 8-3, um, there was another pet- petition to change the course of what was about to happen to the Jews. In 8-5 and 6, there was yet another one. She yes. kept saying it over and over. And then by the time we get to 9-13, wow. She asked for the deaths of Haman's ten sons. I just thought that that was uh, pretty, like you were saying, a pretty amazing progression. And then I wanted to share something that um, is in my Dixon Bible here. And this is not the Word of God, but it's the Word of a man that I thought was interesting. Um, I've got, let's see, it's on page 625. I marked my page number. Um... Because this is about the feast that, um, here we go. This is about the feast of Purim that still occurs today. And it says it took two days and it has been observed to the present time. And so significant is it that the book of Esther holds a large place in the thought and interest of Jews today. On the night of the 14th, candles are lit, and in the synagogue, the service is opened by a brief prayer followed by the reading of the whole book of Esther. And when they're reading it, the name of Haman occurs. Every time the name Haman occurs, the congregation shouts, let the name of the ungodly perish. 
Wow, wouldn't you just love for your name to be that in the whole Jewish (laughs) religion? When the reading is finished, the congregation cries out, Cursed be Haman, blessed be Mordecai, and cursed be Zeresh, the wife of Haman, and blessed be Esther. And then passages are also read from the law and other portions of the Old Testament. And it says that today the festival is Jewishly patriotic rather than religious. And at the close of the synagogue service, the people devote themselves to amusement and merrymaking and even giving each other gifts, I understand. So I just thought that was interesting. That Even Even today. Even today. That is, they're saying, cursed be Haman. And cursed be Zeresh, his wife. And she was a bad person because all she did every time he was not happy was, well, go kill him. Right. (laughs) Just get rid of him. If if they're making you pout because they don't bow down to you, just go exterminate them. So I thought that was um, that was really interesting. Okay, do we have comments? Uh, no new comments. Okay, we were going to compare Esther four seventeen to Revelation two verse ten. So Esther four seventeen is the I perish I perish verse, right? Yes. And what does Revelation two ten say? In Revelation two and ten. Both of them have to do with the crown. Yes. And I hope that you all noted that. Fear none of those things which you shall suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Did anybody notice what church this is written to? It's in verse 8. In Smyrna. Yeah. Written to the church in Smyrna. And so I was just um, looking over this and reading some different things about it. And Polycarp, interestingly enough, was a Smyrnian. And does anybody know what happened to Polycarp? As I was reading about him, he was um, probably, and this is this is pretty much historically verifiable, that he was the last living man that probably, as an adult, knew an apostle. He was, a, he was a student of the Apostle John, according to history. And so he's living, uh, you know, in the, I guess, in the second century. And having known, and John lived, we think John lived to be pretty old. Yes. And uh, I, I think um, on the Isle of Patmos, right? <laughs> and so he was um, endeared, after all those years, to suffering Christians and he had trained, at, we think, according to history, and, and, and I know that I'm not speaking from the word here, so this is not anything that you even have to remember. It's just interesting from yes. history that he was probably trained by the Apostle John, and he was, he was one night laying in his bed, getting, it was supper time, and this is according to both Irenaeus and Tertullian historians. It was supper time laying in his bed and the people came on horses, the the guards came on horses to arrest him. And I think it was a band of men. And once they got there, he had one request and it was that he he have one hour to pray alone. And they watched him pray for an hour and he went it took him two hours. He actually extended his prayer to two hours. And according to history, the men were looking at each other saying, why did we bring a band of people with swords? Right. You know, this man is going to go with us. And so they took him to his death. And he said, 86 years have I served him. 
and well actually they just said you know just deny him just just say just blaspheme his name is really i think what the quote is from tertullian just blaspheme his name and you can live and he said said 86 years have i served him and he never did me wrong how then can i blaspheme my king who has saved me and he was from smyrna and look at verse 9 i know thy works in tribulation and poverty but you are rich Fear none of those things, verse 10, which you will suffer. These people knew Polycarp. I mean, they might have. This is Polycarp. Polycarp's death didn't occur right here, but, I mean, these words are being written by John. As uh, Of course, he's the mouthpiece of the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. but these are being written by John who trained Polycarp. And he's saying this to the church of Smyrna about prison, about tribulation, about being faithful unto death. And I will give thee a crown of life. just thought that was uh, an interesting part of history that speaks to the church at Smyrna. Mm -hmm. So do we have any more comments? Oh, we do not. Okay. Then I ask you to list the bold statements from Acts 3 to 5. And I'm just going to give those verses quickly so that we can continue through the study i have in 3 6 in the name of jesus christ of nazareth rise up and walk they could have just said rise up and walk and maybe not be arrested right but they said in the name of or by the authority of jesus christ rise up and walk in 3 14 to 26 that's all very powerful mm -hmm. but especially verse 23 uh, go ahead and read verse 23 and it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear the pro that prophet, meaning Christ, shall be destroyed from among the people. Yeah, that's another one of those Jeremiah kind of statements. Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is a destruction statement. And he was saying it to the eyeballs of the people the that were going to be destroyed. So I thought that that was um, pretty powerful. And then 4, 8 to 12 is powerfully bold. Uh, let's, let's take the time to read that. It's just bold. 4, 8 to 12. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Okay, let's think back about Peter now. He's standing around that fire, and they're saying, you knew Jesus. Mm -hmm. And he said what? And he just tells them, this person that yeah. you crucified, yeah. you killed. I mean, but just, you know, right before that, he denied him. I mean, this, mm -hmm. is, this hasn't been that long ago True. that he denied him, True. you know, three times. And then by Pentecost, he's... This is a rehearsal, really, of what he said at Pentecost. I mean, mm -hmm. he's already said this. You, by wicked hands, crucified him, and, and he was slain by you. And then he looks in their eyeballs again here and says the same thing. Um, that is just powerfully bold, that he's looking in their faces and saying, you crucified him. Yes. And then 19 and 20, um, knowing that their fate was at stake, he knew that the, the, they could be killed. He knew mm -hmm. that they could, but he said, well, whether it's right for us to 
serve God or you judge you. you know? Yes. He's very bold. And then 5-3, um, I, I put that because he's talking to Ananias there, and he said, why has Satan filled your heart to lie? That would be hard for me to say mm-hmm. to a man. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that was I think that was boldness. And then 529, we ought to obey God rather than men. Um, again, when they're in, they're in deep hot water. And he just says that we ought to obey God rather than men. And in 530, uh, he said, God raised up Jesus whom you slew. He says mm-hmm. that again. And in 531, he's, him has he exalted to be a prince and a savior. He's really knocking at their authority. He's really... Yes. Um, and then um, I think Gamaliel spoke boldly in 38 to 39. And 542 yes. is amazing. Yes. Read 542. And daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. After they were beaten. Yes. They walked away with bloody backs. Rejoicing. <laughs> rejoicing. <laughs> yes. and, and it's really interesting, too, that um, why did they beat him if they were innocent? You know... <laughs> Did they beat him to show their authority? I guess so. Probably. They were angry. But they walked away with bloody backs, rejoicing and teaching daily in the temple. Right after they said, do not teach any more on this wise. And, you know, and that was after, even that was after ridicule, imprisonment. Then they went right back into the temple after they'd gotten put in prison for teaching. They went right back in the temple Mm -hmm. And they were called before the council again. They were beaten. They were dismissed again and say, don't teach anymore. And they went into the temple. And that last verse says every day, daily Daily. in the temple and in every house. They did not stop, not just teaching, but it says teaching and preaching Jesus Christ. So that verse is amazing. Um. I don't know. Oh, I, I know. I ask you to write out the boldness verse. And that is, of course, um, and now, Lord, behold their threatenings. This is the prayer. Yes. I love that prayer. Go ahead and read the prayer. And that's in um, verse. Behold their threatenings. I think 29 of verse, uh, verse. Yes. Okay. And now, Lord, down. behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. And then it says, how? By stretching forth your hand, mm-hmm. Lord, to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the... Why do they need those miracles? I love this verse because it tells us why they needed the miracles. So that people could know. That it came from Christ. So that people could know mm-hmm. that it was the holy child Jesus, mm-hmm. that it's done by thy name, and of the holy child Jesus. I love it because... Um, they're praying for boldness, but as they pray for boldness, they pray for substan- substantiation from heaven. Give Help us to be able to do these miracles so that they can know that what we're saying is by your authority. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a lot of logic in that prayer, but also just a plain old prayer for boldness. And boldness is also in verse 31. Um, I noticed there too. Mm-hmm. Uh, go ahead and read 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spake the word of God with boldness. Hello. That's what they prayed for? Yeah, and they got it. And that's what they got. Yes. And then we were supposed to close the month's study with the examination of 1 Peter 3, 10 to 18. And especially notice verse 15. Let's read verse 15 really quickly. 
Verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and okay. fear. We're talking about readiness here. We're talking about not just boldness, but readiness, being prepared ahead of time so that we won't be shaking in our boots, so right. that we'll be able to give an answer. And then I just ask you to list some things that we can do to be ready. And what would you get for that? I think, um, you know, just opinion is, you know, number one, know what you're doing. I can think when I was a, a newer Christian, and I knew the answers to those topics, and they would say, well, where is that? Mm. Well, I know. <laughs> it's in there somewhere. It's in here. Uh, so you have to study. You have to study mm. the hard topics. You have to commit the scriptures to memory. Um, know what you're doing. Keep him first. Um, and then, you know, I, I also wrote down, knit yourself with other believers, because that's where we're emboldened. You know, if we have a question, the, the the groups on Facebook are wonderful for that. If I have a question and I'm, I'm not quite sure how to put it into words of someone I'm dealing with and I get other sisters in Christ who are like, oh, well, think about this verse and that mm -hmm. verse. And, you know, so we're emboldened um, by the help of others. Um, for me, that was probably the, the most thing is just to, to be ready and to seek to do good. That's very good. And in this passage specifically, um, it says something about our lips or, or our Refrain from evil and keep your lips yeah. from guile. I think that we waste a lot of time on this world's entertainment. Oh, yes. That we could really be putting into the Word. Mm -hmm. Our lips are, are not going to be free from guile if we're filling our minds with it all the time. Right. So I think that's important. Um, try to reconcile sinners to God by boldly speaking. I um I got that directly from this passage. Praying for readiness. I think that uh, that's, that's important, an mm -hmm. important concept from this passage is, is that we need to pray that we can be ready. And to articulate, to s actually thank Him for the hard times. Um, I was talking to somebody who's going through a very hard time right now, trying to be faithful to God, but just being tempted at every turn. And uh, tears in this sweet lady's eyes, tears, because she wants to please God so badly, but it's a very difficult time in her life. And she said this, and it's powerful. She said, but I know that if I can do this, I'll be stronger when I come out of it. And that is, that is this passage. That is true, yes. And we... Uh, have to we just have to thank God articulate our thanksgiving not not necessarily that we're going through something that's excruciating and did you know that excruciating means out of the cross that is the literal did not meaning know that. <laughs> of the word excruciating so I'm trying wow. not to say that unless I really mean it yes you know because I just say oh that doctor gave me a shot and that was excruciating right. you know, that's really not out of the cross that's no. not so it, it really needs to hurt for us to use that yes. word because it means literally out of the cross so we, we need to thank God for the ability that we have to suffer to be a partaker in Christ's sufferings because that is where his glory is that is it, it just says that that you might be also glorified with him. Mm -hmm. So we need to articulate our thanksgiving for our sufferings, and that might be hard in the moment, but to realize that it is those sufferings that will help us in the end to be strong, to build our spiritual muscles, and to be able to overcome. Do we have more comments? We do not. Quite well, you all did not say very much tonight. <laughs> 
so get into the study next month bring your comments i know that a lot of you are, are going to watch later i yes i know that that's just generally we don't have as many people in the chat room as we eventually have to watch it later yes. so i encourage you to you know invite your friends to join us and we will look forward definitely to our next time together and we will close now with the word of prayer father we are thankful that we have your word and that we have your word in written form because we don't have to um you know eyes not seen nor is ear heard that that's what you told us through your holy spirit but we do have the mind of christ and we have it in words and we're so thankful that we have words because people don't have to take it take our word for it because when we speak we can direct people to the words of the holy spirit and that it was, we're thankful that we have it in a language that um, was very detailed, uh, the Koine Greek, and we're thankful that it is uh, somewhat of a dead language, so that means the meanings of the words haven't changed. We are just so thankful for the amazing providence that we have in your word, and we pray that you will help us to be bold as we speak, realizing that it's it's not of, of our own doing and that when people accept it we don't deserve any glory but when people reject it we don't have to be ashamed either because they've not rejected us and we pray father that you will help us to adorn the word that we present in the very best way that we can to make it logical for the people with whom we speak and to make it appealing because of they can look at our lives and because they can see that that happiness and the hope that we have help us father to make your word look good to people but help us father not to embellish it not to take any not to diminish one word not to shave off anything from your word we're so thankful that that's what Digging Deep is about. We're thankful that you blessed us with this avenue, Father, to band together in your word. We're so thankful for, for Jennifer, who makes it possible on the tech side, whose idea it really was to have a tech side. We're so thankful for the ability that we have to communicate to with each other regardless of geographical barriers that there are, Father, because of this technology that we have. Help us, Father, to be strong in your word, to encourage each other in your word, to be bold because we realize that we aren't speaking for ourselves, and we're so thankful. Humble us, Father, always, and help us not to ever make our teachings or our actions our training of our children help us never to have any of that to be about our glory but help us always to give the glory to you in all things that we do we pray for those who are sick and suffering at this time and we pray especially for lynn owen we pray father that you would please be with that family during this difficult part of the journey and help them father to 
with doctors make wise decisions and to find comfort in the only place that any of us can have comfort. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. If you find yourself in Huntsville, Alabama, we'd love for you to worship with us at West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest. Sunday morning worship begins at 9 a.m., followed by Bible classes for all ages. We meet again at 5 p.m. for evening worship and at 7 on Wednesday night. This is a Digging Deep in God's Word production, a Bible study for women. For more information, visit thecolleyhouse.org.